Father, we just thank you. Father, we just come to you in the name of Jesus, Lord. Because, Lord, there is no other name under heaven which you will accept, O Lord, except through your Son. You said, Lord, no one can come to the Father except through your Son. And therefore, we come to you, Lord, in the name of your Son. This evening, we just surrender ourselves to you, Father, believing, Lord, that you will speak to us this evening, Lord, in a fresh way, O Lord. Even if we are looking at some familiar portions of Scripture, O Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would cast more light into it. Because, Lord, your word says in Psalm 119, Lord, you said through your servant David, I have seen an end to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly large. Father, there is an incredible largeness in your commandments and in your word. Your word is as deep as you are, O Lord. And therefore, this evening we pray, Father, that, Lord, you would speak to us and reveal yourself to us in a fresh way, O Lord. Father, touch us, O Lord. Sanctify us a little more. Separate us a little more. Cause us, O Lord, Father, to hunger after your righteousness, O Lord, and hunger after you and thirst after you, O Lord. Thank you, Father. Commit us, commit ourselves to your hands, O Lord. Commit the speaking and the hearing of this word to that. And I pray that you would anoint us even now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's continue with Hannah, the way we, where we left, left uh, last time. In First Samuel chapter 1 um, and verse 8, remember the four questions? Yeah? Um, the four questions. Uh, uh, God asks us, uh, Elkanah, of course, asked Hannah, and we will continue from there. It says in First uh, Samuel chapter 1, verse 8 onwards, uh, then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? The first question. Why do you not eat? Second question. Why is your heart grieved? Third question. And then fourth question is, am I not better to you than for ten sons? No. These four questions we need to answer every day of our lives if we are truly an honor of God. And so verse 9, so Hannah arose. By the way, she has an answer to those four questions. And the answer to those four questions uh, lies in the next verse, verse 9. You may, all of us, we might be going through the trial of our lives, but there is something which is of the work of faith. Look at what it says in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 9. So Hannah arose after she had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorstep of the tabernacle of the Lord. And it says she was in bitterness of soul. Amazing, bitterness of soul. Um, uh, I mentioned this some time back. It's, uh, the Hebrew word is maranafesh. The soul is bitter. Why is it bitter? Not because it's not bitter toward God. Lord, there is something inside of me, Lord, and should be a person who's fruitful. Father, I'm yours. I'm a person who's been favored of you. I, I receive the double portion of your anointing. But I'm fruitless, Lord. And there's bitterness in our soul. And then she's in her bitterness, what did she do? She didn't get angry with God. Look at what it, say, what it says. She prayed to the Lord and she wept in anguish. Boy, this is holy desperation. Right? You know, would to God that God would find one or two people here in this place who have this kind of a holy desperation toward God. Seven onwards. And she made a vow. What did she do? She made a vow. My, I titled today's message, She Made a Vow, Did You? <laughs> That's my message today. She made a vow, did you? I mean, if you're a man, shame on you. 
in other words okay women have made vows i don't know in the bible if men have really made vows she made a vow did you so she made a vow and said oh lord of hosts okay the word is yahweh shabaoth or tsavoth the hebrew word is tsavoth the lord of hosts meaning the lord of heavenly armies okay that's a very interesting phrase you see when she's praying to the lord <laughs> she has a revelation of who god is now oh, it's very interesting no if you go through the bible and you search for the phrase lord of hosts okay it appears according to my research 235 times in the bible how many times 235 times now question quiz question for all of you where do you think it is mentioned for the very first time silence you know where it is mentioned here hana for the very first time in the bible she calls the lord the lord of hosts it's an incredible revelation that god see you need to understand something when you are praying you need to have a revelation of who god is you need to appeal to a particular attribute of god you see when abraham was praying you know what he was saying will not the judge of all the earth do what right he had a particular revelation of who god is and he was appealing to that attribute of god and similarly hana my goodness what a tremendous revelation to a woman and she for the first time prays lord of heavenly armies you know what is by the way the israeli army is called savot even now you see i was just doing a research on uh, this particular word um, you know wh- when do we use the word army okay we use it in different contexts they sent army the end, uh, the army the indian army to kashmir now okay a part of the army at least a few troops they sent an army to ensure that peace is there peace is there in the particular province that is under dispute sometimes you use the word army in different different say, uh, contexts no he sent an army of volunteers hmm right an army of volunteers an army of doctors an army of scientists okay by the way that was literally what the americans did when they actually invented the atom bomb there was there was an army of scientists in mit under the leadership of oppenheimer okay that is what i mean they used of course uh, einstein's uh, theory of relativity and he's got mc square that particular equation was used to actually create the atom bomb and you know what they you know what the americans were very smart they they, they actually imported all the jewish scientists from germany and 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 they literally a battery or the army of scientists what does it tell me what does an army mean an army means a, a set of people a group of people with a particular focus a purpose which is which, which has a focus okay the army are i mean in the army you have to only listen to the orders of your commander the commander has a particular vision and all of you are tuned to the vision of the commander and you know what she is actually praying he she is praying oh lord of what boy you know what she is saying lord i am also a soldier in your army 
have a focus. I have a particular focus. Lord, I am a soldier in your army. I want to birth a warrior. You remember the birthing of warriors, Pastor James preached from uh, in the, during the uh, Wednesday Bible study. Remember that, my dear brothers and sisters. You see, whenever you're praying, therefore, don't pray randomly. Pray through scripture. That is the reason why, I mean, many sisters over here who are called to prayer, meditate upon the word. Ask God for a revelation of who he is. And when you are praying to God, appeal to a particular attribute of God that God has spoken into your spirit. And this is remarkable. This lady, I mean, a weak lady, fruitless lady, you know what she says, Lord, I'm praying to the Lord of hosts. Remember that mighty fortresses are God, a bulwark never fading, a helper he emits the cloud, I'm sorry, amidst the flood, a mortal else prevailing, for still our ancient force does seek to work as woe, his craft and power are great, okay, and his, and his arm with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving will be failing, were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Just ask who that may be. Lord Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Shabaoth, his name. And H to H the same. And he must win the battle. See, mighty fortresses are God. You don't stop with singing stanza number one. In many, many churches, let us only sing stanza number one. Stanza number one actually is a very, you end with a desperation only. There's no answer. Then he says, though this world with devil's will should threaten to undo us, we will not fear what God has willed. For his truth to triumph to us, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for his low his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly past, no thanks to them abideth. His spirit and the gifts are through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindreds go, this mortal life also. His... This body they may kill, but God's truth about it still. His kingdom is forever. Mighty fortresses are God. Lord Shabbaoth. Lord Shabbaoth. The first revelation that is given to Hannah. And she prays to the Lord of Shabbaoth. And she vows a vow. You know, very interesting, no? Vowing a vow ka matlab kya hai? Vowing a vow ka matlab ye hai? She has consecrated her life with a sacrifice. I'll, I'll explain what 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 is that wow. Okay, before we go to uh, to uh, to the meat of today's message, what is the revelation that God has given us in the New Testament about Himself? Any answer uh, about Himself? Our 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 what? Our not Savior, Baba, our Father. <laughs> You see, that's a unique thing. We don't have to say Lord of Shabbat, we'll say our father. Can you imagine? The the person who's commanding the army is our father now. See, that is the revelation we have. Okay, we'll, I'm not going to go into that. Now let's leave, let, let's look further down as to how she prays. Second, she prays. Look at what she says. If you indeed will look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and do not forget your maidservant, but will give to your maidservant a male child, then I will give to him all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. Now tell me what is the word which is repeating over here? Maidservant. This is how she prays. Lord, I am your maidservant. I am your maidservant. I am your maidservant. So you know how she is appealing? She says, Lord, you are the Lord of Shabbat. I am your maidservant. Okay, and if I am your maidservant, Lord, look up, look at my affliction. First thing, Lord, if I am your maidservant, what? Look at my affliction. Second, Lord, if I am your maid maidservant, don't forget me, please remember me. Third, if I am your maidservant, Lord, give me a male child. 
specific. And then I make a vow, Lord, no razor will come to his side. What a tremendous, what does it mean? This is, she's appealing to the Lord of hosts with incredible humility. Maid servant ka matlab kya hai? The first, I mean the word maid servant actually in other places in the Bible is translated as bond woman. It's not bond woman. Okay, you know what I'm talking about, right? People are laughing. She's not bond woman, she's bond woman. What is bond woman? Bond woman means you can use her any way you want. Cast out the bond woman, she has to go. Okay, take the bond woman, have a child, she has to go. Amazing, no? That means a person who has no rights on her life. And she know what she's saying, Lord, I am your bond woman, Lord, I have forsaken all my rights, you have all my rights. All, I mean, my rights are yours. I've forsaken all my rights. You can do with me as you, what? Please. But Lord, if I'm your bond servant, Lord, look at my affliction. If you're my bond servant, Lord, look at my, look, don't forget me. Don't, don't, don't forget me. Please remember me. Look at, if you're my bond servant, Lord, remember. Okay, so, uh, sorry, uh, give me what I'm, what I'm desiring. Now think about it. No, it's a very, very offensive word, no? Bond servant, bond woman, who likes those terminologies these days? Look at what, <laughs> look at what it says in Romans chapter 6. You don't have to turn there. Let me just read it. Verse, verse 6, 15 onwards. What then shall we sin because we are under the law, uh, but not, I mean, we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know to whom you present yourself slaves or bond slaves? The same word is loss. To obey, you are his slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked, though, though, and verse 18, you have been set free from sin, you became what? Slaves of righteousness. You know what? We are all slaves. Either we are a slave of God or we are a slave of sin. You choose. If you are not a slave of God, you are a slave of sin. There is no middle ground. That is the reason why it says, um, uh, um, a man who is free is the Lord's bondman. And the man who is a slave is the Lord's free man. <laughs> See, everybody is a slave by default. Second thing is that, look at the way she is asking. You know, James will say, you ask and you don't receive. You know why? Because you ask amiss, because you want to spend it upon your what? And she says, Lord, if you give me, Lord, it's yours. Who is she, how is she, how is she saying? In her heart. She's not even voicing that from her lips. You know, it's deep down inside of her heart. I love that. Deep down inside of your heart, whatever is going on, that is what God is recording here through his spirit. Okay, and what does she do? She makes a wow. Verse, verse chapter one, verse uh, first Samuel chapter one, and verse uh, uh, nine and ten. Sorry, verse uh, uh, eleven, and she says, "All I will give to the Lord him all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head." This is the wow that she makes. So, what is what is the kind of wow he she's calling? I mean, he's talking about here. What kind of a, what, what kind of a vow is it? No, Nazareth vow. No, we were all reading, uh, numbers in our, uh, in our details, you know. Number, numbers chapter six talks about the Nazareth vow. You don't have to turn there, I'm going to go there, okay? Numbers chapter six talks about a Nazareth vow. And if you read the Nazareth vow, it is only a temporary vow. It's not a permanent vow. Okay? You see, read that. It is only a temporary vow. Okay, for a period of time. But you see, every Nazareth in the Bible, after the law of the Nazareth in Numbers chapter six, every other Nazareth in the Bible at least is a permanent one or a, or a temporary one. Samson? Permanent. What about Samuel? Permanent. 
Okay, okay. So it is actually talking about a, it's a New Testament picture of a disciple. Okay, but let me just before I go there, what is who is a Nazarite? First question. Nazarite comes from the word Nazar, which means consecrated one, separated one. That is the word Nazar. Okay, Nazar. Okay, a lot of Muslims have that name, Nazar. Okay, what does Nazar actually, it's, a, it's an Arabic word too, which essentially means a consecrated one or a separated one. Now, the consecrated one and a set apart one, the one who has made a binding commitment to God. That is a Nazarite. What, what kind of a commitment? A binding commitment to God. Now, what is this? What is the significance of a commitment of That is basically a vow. Okay, a, a vow is a binding commitment to God. What is the significance of a commitment in the Old Testament at least? What is he actually telling? Through making a commitment to God, he's, he's first of all, he's saying this. The commitment or the vow they make, they are actually signifying how important God is for them. What is that? How important God is. So, when we were unregenerate, what was our importance about God? I mean, how did we consider God? Look at the unregenerate person. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 1. Turn to verse 28, okay? And you can follow it in your Bibles, okay? And see uh, if you are there, okay? In the Bibles, if you are there, say I am there, okay? In your heart, don't have to say it loudly. God is saying whatever you are saying in your heart, okay? Let us see. Romans chapter 1 verse 28. And since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God. Okay, that is what they do. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips. They are not gossipers. They are gossips. They are not, li- they are not liars. They are a lie. That's a, that's the remarkable thing over here. Okay. Their gossips was 30 slanderers and then what is, what is the next one? Haters of God. That is the unregenerate man. What is he? He's a hater of God. Again, look at what it says in Romans chapter 5 verse 10. Everybody knows this. Okay. We were, the next one it says enemies of God. Okay. This is the unregenerate man. Okay. For if we, when we were enemies of God, we were haters of God. We, that means, by the word, the word, the, by the way, the word hate, haters of God comes from a one Greek word, which is only used one time in the entire New Testament. Okay. Theo, syruptos or something. Okay. Syruptos. Hater of God. Now, whom does uh, Luke write his gospel and uh, acts to? Theophilus. You know what Theophilus means? Lover of God. So, Theophilus is maybe a person, it is to all of us who are lovers of God. Theos, Philio. Philio means love. What kind of a love? Love of a friend. Brotherly love. Philadelphia. You see? Theophilus. Theophilus. Okay. So, he is a lover of God. Okay. Now, this is, he is a hater of God over here. Unregenerate man. Okay. And therefore, he doesn't understand the things of God. Then, Second, this, that means what? By making a vow, he's telling, Lord, you are so important to me in my life. You come first. Okay, first thing. Second, they are not afraid to make a vow. You see, most of us are afraid to make a vow. I'll tell you why we are afraid to make a vow. I'll give you reasons. What hinders a believer from making a vow to God? Okay, vow meaning 
A discipleship, you'll, you'll understand it more clearly even as I progress. Wow, meaning it's not, let us not make, uh, let us, let our yes be a yes and let us, let our, ah, uh, but how many times have we said, told God yes? Anybody here? We never said yes nor no. <laughs> Therefore, we never actually made a commitment to God. <laughs> right? Okay, yes Lord, yes Lord, we sang. But we actually didn't mean it from our heart. Let our yes be a yes, let our no be a no is what we need to do. I mean, the standards in the New Testament are more high. Okay. So, what what hinders us from making commitment to God? And I was searching the scriptures for that. First, it hinders us because we know it is the end of all autonomy and individuality. In the autonomy. We want to be autonomous university. Okay. University is autonomous. That means we can tell, we can prescribe our rules, we can disc- declare our syllabus, we can do whatever we want. We are autonomous. Because we are afraid to lose our autonomy or what we call as individuality. Okay. Look at this. Let me show you. Turn to Proverbs chapter 20 and read verse 25. How did I come to this conclusion? Okay. Anybody? I'll read it in my Bible, but you read it first, so that you can find it in your Bible. It is a trap. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what actually a Nazareth is saying? I am holy. Okay. It is a trap for a man to say rashly it is holy. <laughs> and after the vows to make inquiry. Lord, let me read other translations. Okay. It is a trap to dedicate something rashly and only later consider your vows. Another another one, NLT. Don't trap yourself by making a rash promise to God and only later count the cost. Another translation. It is a snare, it is a snare to say rashly, it is holy, and then reflect only after making the vow. What does it tell me? What does it tell me? You know what? Why people don't make vows? Because they read the Bible. What did I say? And they don't want to get. Ah, I will lose my autonomy, Baba. I don't want to get trapped. See, exactly. You know, that is the reason why just before getting married, no butterflies in the belly. God trapped for life. I mean, not, I mean, not so much for the girl, maybe for the boy or maybe for the girl sometimes. I don't know. I, I'm just right. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You, you wouldn't believe it, okay? On the day of my wedding, there was no smile on my face. Be- because I saw a lot of Hollywood, okay, by that time, no? And I was looking at the priest like that. Serious face, and this girl is next to me. Lord, will she say no in the last minute? <laughs> and a lot of photographers are asking, why are you not smiling? Baba, you don't know the tension in my heart. <laughs> Trapped for life. They are afraid they are going to be trapped. And they will lose what? All individuality. What a life from the pit of hell. You know how you actually discover your individuality? By coming under authority. Let me prove that to you from scripture. Okay. Turn to Romans chapter 12 please. Okay Peter. Don't be ashamed. Read from verses 3 to 4. And if you have ESV, 
and NASB, those are holier translations too. Holy translations too. They are also category, can be categorically called Holy Bible, but okay, let's read on. Read on, Peter. Yes, Peter. For I say, through the grace given unto me, for every man is just among you. Uh-huh. Ante, don't, don't think too much about yourself, Baba. Don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think too lowly of yourself. Think with sober judgment. Hmm? That is what it says in the next slide. Read on, brother. Hmm. Uh-huh. A measure of faith. Next verse. As we have many members in one body. Okay. Me many. And then, okay, your translation is in KJV, right? Anybody has an ESV? You read it ESV, read ESV please. Verse 4, you read it in ESV. As in one body we have many members, uh huh. And then verse 5, if I'm right, I'm sorry. I like the words, everybody say, and, does it say individually also in KJV? And individually, members of one... Do you see that word individually coming over there? In other words, if you really, really want to explore and find out what your individual gift is, come under the authority of a godly church where the word is preached, where people love God. And I'm telling you, I promise you in the name of Jesus, your individual gift will be founded and God will use you. And you can function. I mean, I learned this from Pastor James. Uh, if you turn with me to, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Genesis, please. Genesis chapter 41. I forgot to print it here. I love that, no? Genesis chapter 41. <clears throat> Are you there? Uh, let me sh- tell you. Where... Uh, 41 or 40, let me see, let me exactly tell you exactly which verse it is, Uh, 41, yes, 41, 44 onwards if I'm right, somebody can read it, Mm -hmm. ah, moreover Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, who am I, I am Pharaoh, and what are you, and wow, (laughs) you see, I am Pharaoh, you are under me, but you know what, Without your consent, move on. Who's experiencing and, ex- I mean, who's actually uh, exercising autonomy? Joseph. But what is he? Who's under it? Who's he under? How, how, the maximum individual potential of Joseph is coming out because he's under. And if you look at his life, he's always under that. I mean, he was tested under ungodly authority. Till he could be more to a place where he could be under a man who feared God. In that sense. Understand that. What a lie. See, lose, nobody, you will not lose your autonomy, autonomy, Baba. So first thing, you don't want to get trapped. That's the reason why you don't want to make a vow. Okay, a lot of people, I'll get trapped in this church. I mean, a lot of people told me, told that about me. You're trapped, Vijay, in this church. Let me tell you, and I would have never discovered my gift of preaching had I not come to this church. I had a gift of teaching. When I went to the university, but gift of preaching? No. I don't, I didn't know. And if you come under godly leadership and godly authority, you know what will happen? They, 
If it is a godly authority, they will always look at potential. What are, what are you strong at? And they will start using you in that area. You will not be trapped. In fact, you will prosper in your giftings and in your office. You understand that, everybody? So, don't be afraid to be trapped. Okay. Actually, a lot of people are trapped in the world. It's called debt. Mortgage. You know what mortgage means? Death trap. Paying EMIs after EMIs, after all, once, one, one thing after you come to, uh, I mean, if you come to Christianity, if you come to a leadership position, you know what you'll enjoy? Debt-free life. No EMIs for me. Thank God. How many of you don't have the trap? Enjoy. Okay, let's move on. Second, second reason why you do not want to make a vow. Okay, go go to Ecclesiastes chapter five. Okay. You know, most of the people don't make vows because they, are, they know scripture very well. Okay. And they apply it in the wrong sense. Okay. Let's see what it, what it says in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Read from verses 4 to 6. When thou vowest a vow unto God, differ, differ not to pay uh, uh, any other translation. Do not delay to pay it. Okay. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, that part everybody says. Better not to vow. Huh, huh, then move on. Hmm. And then verse 6. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a mistake. In other translations, we'll use the word, do not say to the angel of the Lord. Okay, angel means pastor, basically. You know, when you go into the waters of the baptism and you come out, hey, Baba, I made a mistake, pastor. No, it is it is basically that, okay. You're, because pastor will ask you this question, have you repented of your sin? Yes. From today onwards, you are going to be Christ and Christ alone till be faithful unto what? Unto death, okay. Be faithful unto death. And, and then after you come out and then you realize, are you faithful unto death, Baba? Uh, pastor made a mistake, Pastor. Can I cancel it? No, 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 no cancelling. What are they afraid of? What are, what is the principle here? Verse 5, verse 4. Somebody can read it, please. When you vow a vow to God, do not. What does it mean? You know what? I am too young to commit myself. There's a lot of time. You know what? This is this is called adultolescence. What sense? Adult, no, I didn't coin that word. Some philo- some psychologists coined that word, and John Piper used it. Okay, in psychology, there is a phrase called adultolescence. What is adultolescence? They always want to postpone their commitments to a later date because they still want to enjoy. I don't want to get married because I'm still only thirty, da. And now becomes 40, 50, you know why? Because they love video games. They are still adults with an adolescent mind. They like their toys more than their commitment to God. You know, those days people got married when they were young and they started jobs. No, these days, when do you graduate? You know, studying and studying and studying in the university for law, forever and ever and ever. You know, somebody asked... Uh, uh, I think Warren Wiersbe asked his, uh, one of his friend's son, who was studying and studying, PhD, postdoc, everything he was doing. And he asked him, asked him, what, do your, what, do your son, what is your son going to become after he graduates from university? And he said, he's going to become an old man. 
You see, you see, people, you know what? They don't want to graduate because they are afraid of commitment. And they say, you know what? I have a lot of time in my hand. I do want, should I, this is the time to enjoy. Let me skip to a later date. To, the, to those people, let me, let me make you a, make, make you a, make a statement. There is no Christianity without commitment and commitment now. Okay. If you are committed to nothing, you become nothing. That is the reason why it says, an idol is what? First Corinthians chapter 8 verse 4. You don't have to turn there. An idol is what? N-O-T-H-I-N-G. Nothing. So if you are worshipping an idol, call your career or your whatever and saying, okay, Lord, let me finish my PhD. Let me get a job. Let me get my this and let me get my that. Let me have children. All your idols, you become what? Nothing. And another thing, another statement somebody made. If you are not committed to anything, you become nothing. And if you are committed to nothing, you can distract it by everything. You see, there is no Christianity without commitment and commitment now. Okay, let me show you. Second Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 1 onwards, 1 to 2, please. Uh, your translation is beautiful, please read it. Ah, we then as workers, so let, let me include myself and pastor here, we then as workers, okay, we, Pastor James and I, okay, They're very grammatically correct, Pastor James and I, okay, we then as workers, yes, uh-huh, don't receive the grace of God in vain, uh-huh, uh-huh, and then, Ah, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the way of salvation. First thing, Christianity without commitment is not Christianity and commitment is what? Now. Second thing, several places I can show you. You can go, go to Romans, uh, Psalm, th- Psalm 32 verses 5 and 6. You don't have to turn there. I want to show you one verse in Romans chapter 13 verses 11, which in the uh, revised standard version, let me read it in my Bible. You can follow it in your Bibles. Romans chapter 13 verse 11 and 12 actually, but let me, let me just read verse 11. Besides, this you know what hour it is. How it is full time now for you to wake up from, okay, Mattu Vadalara Nidura Okay. It is time for you to wake up for salvation. And verse, for salvation is nearer to us now than we first believed. And if Paul has to say that 2000 years back, how much more you and I have to say? Okay. Then, okay, so commitment is what? When? Now. First thing, you are already too late, by the way. What did I say? You are already too late. Now tell me, let me, sh- uh, let me ask you questions. How many of you below the age of uh, 12 here? Raise your hands. Come on, come on, come on. All Abigails and uh, Emmanuelas and uh, uh, Sarahs and everybody. Okay? Raise your hands. All, uh, he's 13, okay. Below 13, come on, raise your hand now. 13 and less than or equal to. Okay? So I want Ajay also, Ajay's hand also. So, and of course, that little baby also. Okay? So to you, to you, people who are less than 13 years age, this is your verse. First Peter chapter 4. Verse 3 onwards. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime. Okay. Enough of our 
past lifetime in doing the will of God or in doing the will of Gentiles, not the will of God, sorry. In doing the will of Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness. How many of your children walked in lewdness, Sarah? Sarah I mean, Sarah walked in lewdness? No. I'm sure she did not. Drunkenness? No. Revelries? No. Drinking parties? No. Abominable idolatries? No. She Did she do... You know what God is saying to that person who is reading, if Abigail were to read it, you know what God is telling Abigail, Abigail, you have spent enough time in all this. But Lord, I did not enjoy any of these things. Huh, you're already, without enjoyment, you have still, you've already enjoyed. It is, you are already what? Let me tell you something. Your children are not too young to know God. What did I say? Your children are not? Too young to know God. I'm telling you honestly, this is my prayer. No. Lord, let her know, Lord, has ASAP. <laughs> when will she cry and when will she get convicted of her sin and say, Lord, Jesus is in my heart? That's my prayer. Because she, you're already too late. Then, the last one. God is not going to wait forever. What did I say? God is not going to wait forever. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. It's like this. No, let, let me give you this picture. How many of you have servant maids in your home? Raise your hands. Anisha Mudli, I have. Okay, we have. No. So it doesn't matter. You can have a maid, no problem. Hmm? Nobody will say you're rich. Okay, don't worry. Hmm? The maids are rich, by the way. <laughs> okay, but think about it. A maid. Hmm? You're sleeping. She comes and knocks at your door. Ama! Ochina! Manik Ochina! And you're sleeping. Five minutes. Ten minutes throughout open just now. Okay. She will, she will wait for ten minutes. Ama. They'll wait. Maids will actually look for it. Excuses to leave you. Okay. Okay. Excuses. I mean, like my dad, no, when he came for the first time to, to Hyderabad, he asked one of the pewns to come and fix something in his home. And uh, that guy, he he didn't appear. Okay, so my dad went and asked him, I came, you were not there. How long should I wait? No, in other words, even your maid, she's not going to wait forever. Am I right? Your maid is not going to? And you say, Lord, tomorrow, Lord, you know what you're doing? You're treating God worse than a maid. How dare we do that to God? You see that? The seriousness of this? Oh God, tomorrow God, day after tomorrow God, day after day after tomorrow God. And some of you have no idea what I'm saying. <laughs> saying you have a lot of time. When you come to 35, 40 years old, you know you don't have much time left. Your knees will be creaking and your back will be aching. Much time is not there. So, are you afraid to make a vow? She made a vow! Did you? So let's now look at what it means to make a vow. Let's go to Numbers chapter 6 today. Okay. First, we'll look at two parts in Numbers chapter 6. How to make a vow. And how to keep the vow. What, is that, what did I say? How to make a vow? How to keep the vow. Let's go to Numbers chapter 6 and verse 1 onwards. Okay. 
this uh, Nazareth vow is a picture of New Testament discipleship. Just keep that in mind. And if you have read today's Spurgeon evening, how many of you read Spurgeon evening today? Okay. Okay. So I was like, oh my goodness, thank you, Jesus. This is what I wanted to say too. Okay. So Numbers chapter 6, verse 1 onwards. <clears throat> then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when either a man or woman consecrates an offering, look at that, consecrates an offering. What is the offering here? Ah, you see that? That is the reason why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, offer. That is the picture over here. No, this, is, this is discipleship picture, okay? Consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord. By the way, this word separate himself to the Lord, in other words, the Nazarite is saying, I am holy to the Lord. Now tell me, which is the only tribe in the 12 tribes or the 13 tribes which are holy to the Lord? The Levites. The Levites were holy to the Lord. You know what this is saying? A man need not be a Levite. He can come willingly, freely, come to God and say, Lord, I offer myself to, you know something, even though the Levites were consecrated to the Lord and they're called to his service, you know, God never stopped others to consecrate themselves. It's remarkable. Yes, the Levites were called. I mean, in a, if you are a Levite, you don't have an option, by the way. Even if you don't like. I mean, I, I, we have one, uh, one pastor's son in our church, in our school. His father takes him to every meeting. And you know, that one day he confessed, you know, children are very, very honest. No? I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to be a pastor. Oh, I don't know. I don't want to. I want to be engineer, doctor. I want to travel. And I, I, I was, I was looking at it. This is a Levite who doesn't want to be a Levite. This <laughs> is remarkable. No? I don't want to be a pastor. See, that if you are a Levite, you don't have a choice. You, you are holy to the Lord, whether you like it or not. But the prop, and you know what? Your children, by the way, if you are a believing parent, they don't have a choice. Do you know that? First Corinthians chapter 7 verse 14. Please read it. <laughs> okay. If you are a believer, if you are a believer, believing parent, your children have no choice, Baba. You have to realize that. Kya baat hai? For an unbelieving husband, yeah. Is sanctified by the wife. How many unbelieving I don't have to ask you. Okay, we'll read on. This is for you. No? And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, that your children will be unclean. But now? Ah, but now they are holy. So my Abigail and my Emmanuel, they're actually not my Abigail and my Emmanuel. They are whose? God's. They don't have actually a choice. That is the reason why I and the children the Lord has given me are for science and for wonders. Who said that? Isaiah said it. And what did he name his son? Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. And this fellow is saying, what kind of a name is that, Papa? You don't have a choice. Shut your mouth. Mahar Shalal Hashbaz? Kya baat hai? Come home! Are kya naam hai So they don't have a choice. <laughs> If you are called John, you don't have a choice. You know that? But you know what? If you are Nandra, they will make fun of you. If your name is John, the John God Revedu. John God Revedu. I heard that when I was in IIT, when my, my friends didn't know that I was a Christian, because I was ashamed those days. 
అనేవాడు క్రిస్టియన్ రావాడు క్రిస్టియన్ వాడు పెద్ద జానగాడు రావాడు జాన్ యూ నో మై చాయిస్ ఓకే బట్ బట్ దాట్స్ బిసైడ్స్ ద పాయింట్ హియర్ హియర్ దో హీస్ అవుట్ ఆఫ్ హిస్ ఓన్ ఫ్రీ విల్ ఈస్ ఎర్ లాడ్ i want to be separated unto you holy unto you by the way we don't know if elkana was a priest we don't know i'm not sure it the this bible is not very clear it's remarkable okay but where is samuel wearing the ephod in the temple with the high priest where only the who were allowed levites who are they by default holy unto the lord were allowed but if you are an azarite you are also allowed into the temple okay that is just by so he surrendered himself out of his own free will to god so this is a vow that is voluntary out of his own free will not out of compulsion turn to first peter chapter 5 please first peter chapter 5 several places i can go but i want to go look at one pl- one place in terms of uh, where it, uh, peter is talking about in terms of uh, leadership first peter chapter 5 verses 1 2 and 3 actually 1 and 2 yes read it bro yeah, the elders who are among you i exhort i who am a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of christ yes go on mm-hmm. yes serving as overseers not by compulsion but willingly you see god doesn't like people to be compelled you see we, we, you guys by the way you don't have a choice as i said you are holy children by default okay but you will go outside one day okay you will go outside one day then we will know whether you are really holy to the lord when you have to make a decision upon yourself for yourself okay, when you are when you are out of the of the of the boundaries of your home what choices will you make will you make holy choices where you say lord i want to seek you wherever i am i'm yours let's move on so in other words was that, that, that means he is willing so let me show you this okay to go go to matthew chapter 16 verse 24 somebody can read it matthew chapter uh, 16 verse 24 <clears throat> yeah then jesus told his disciples if anyone would my translations will use the word would what is would come after me what is would it is a past tense of will ah if anyone wills to come after me john's gospel chapter 7 verse 17 if anyone wills to do what the will of god john's gospel chapter 6 verse 66 onwards after this many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him did god stop them no so jesus said to the 12 do you want to go away as well answer to all the question is 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 asking us all the questions simon peter answered him lord to whom shall we go you have the words of life and we and we have believed and have come to know that you are the holy one of god you see that we are a people who willingly submitted ourselves to god because you know what we are responding not out of compulsion because we are responding out of love you need to understand that if you love me you will keep my commands look at our see if you want to have a sense of our calling what our calling actually is if you turn turn with me to romans chapter 1 verses 5 to 7 let me show you some very interesting adjectives the apostle paul gives uh, the church in rome 
because church means ecclesia, which is essentially called out assembly. Okay, uh, people who are separated and sanctified. Verse five onwards. <clears throat> Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. That is verse 5. And verse 6, including you. Who is that you? We all, okay? Including you who are what? Called to belong to, first adjective. Second, to those in Rome who are beloved of God. Second adjective. Do you see that? First, you are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Second, you are beloved of God. And the third, called to be? What does saints mean? Holy ones or sanctified ones. Three adjectives uses. He says you are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Second, you are beloved of God. And you are called to be saints. Now look at this. How he puts three things here. First, you are called to belong to Jesus Christ. In the middle he says you are beloved of God. Third, he says what? You are called to be saints. In other words, what is holding our call? The third, the second one. What is it? That you are beloved. You are loved of God. Let me tell you. God so loved the world, yes. How many we, we, we know that? No, God, God so loved the world. And what what love is he talking about over here? I'll tell you what kind of love he's talking about. Somebody gets a letter which I wrote to Jacinth. Okay, my daughter one day hacks into my email and reads my email that I sent. Okay, just imagine. Okay, and in that I'm writing to my wife. Dear Jacinth, okay, baby, whatever, etc., etc. I love you, okay. And she reads the entire email, full of expressions and love. And if she concludes, my father is a loving man. He loves everybody. Is that a conclusion? No. No. What is the conclusion? My dad loves my mother. You know, when he's talking here, beloved of God, I love my wife. You are mine. You're called to belong to Jesus Christ. You're called to be saints because you have been loved like to, like a wife, husband loves a wife. And because therefore our calling is a vow that we are making to him out of our own free will. That is the reason why when we make marriage vows, are you making it out of your own? Ah, free will. You're making, not making it out of sympathy. Lot of marriages are sympathy marriages. Oh, you, she's from a poor background. If you get married like that, your marriage will be very sympathetic. Simplest pathetic, in other words. Because you're marrying out of, I love, you know, George, you know, I was discussing with George sometime back. He made a very powerful statement. He said, Pastor, I don't want to marry a person who's a burden, whom I should carry. I want to marry a person who will be alongside me and serve me in the ministry. See? No sympathy. You're loving God out of your free will and you've given him yourself to her, to Jesus, not out of sympathy. Yo, there's so much of need in this world. So many people don't know the gospel. You're not moved by need. Even the need in the church or even the need in Christendom, or even the need in the world. You're never moved by need. You're moved by love and what devotion for what God has done for you. That is what you're moved by. That is the vow that you're making. The question is that, how many of us really experience that kind of a love? See? I 
loved, beloved of God. Okay, let's move on. So first, first a vow which is made out of free will. So how do we make that vow? First question, part one, how do we make that vow? Freely, because we love him. Okay, we we make freely, not out of compulsion. There is no compulsion. Even the Muslims say, there is no compulsion in religion and they will kill also. If you don't convert, convert. But that is not God. He will never compel anybody. Behold, I said before you, life and death, blessing and curse, choose what? Not blessing, choose what? Life. Choose me. Choose me. Okay, out of your own free will. Second, that is how you make the vow. But next one is, how do you keep the vow? Okay, so first part is, how do you make the vow? Second part is, how do you keep the vow? So, the verse 3 onwards will give us an exposition as to how we keep the vow. First thing, he shall separate himself from wine and a strong drink. Uh, NIV will use the word beer. That's a rendering, NIV rendering for strong drink. Beer is strong drink, okay? So, so if you have Budweiser, you will get dumber. So basically, that is the point here, okay? He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from any other strong drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat fresh grapes, nor eat raisins. I mean, how many of you like raisins? Dry fruits? Oh! I mean, when you look at raisins, do you like, hey, this is harmless, Baba. How many of you eat grapes? I love it, no? You like, like, like grapes. How many of you drink grape juice? Oh, we all drank grape juice. Every Sunday we do it. I mean, every first Sunday we do drink grape juice. Okay, so don't lie. As if oh, I never drank grape juice. How many of you wine? No, the problem is this. From raisin to grape juice? No, no, no. Raisins to grapes to grape juice to wine. Which is easiest to say no? No, 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 no. Raisin. <laughs> I am, it's a fantastic statement he made. And have you, have you, I don't know if you've seen this movie, Catch Me If You Can. No? Have you seen Catch Me If You Can? So this guy, you know, he's stealing all banks, okay, by making wrong checks. And then he makes a statement. You know, in this autobiography, he's writing to his father. Dad, you always told me, honest people don't have to fear anything. And I'm trying hard not to fear. (laughs) You see that? He says, Dad, this is exactly what he's doing, no? Dad, honest people don't have to fear anything. I'm trying hard not to be honest, not to fear, not to fear. You see, this is what he's doing too. So raisins to grapes to grape juice to wine. Okay, cartoon to movie to R-rated movie to porn. Got it? You can. Equivalent. See, now think about it. Now think, 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 think about it. Think about it. Did Samson eat raisins? No. Did he drink uh, grape juice? No. Did he drink uh, wine? No. He ate honey. But never does scripture say that he actually did what the first part says. But you know what? He was defeated by women. What is wine therefore significant of? So let me tell you what wine signifies. Because Proverbs has several things to say about wine. Okay, the first place. I want to show you. Oh God, this is remarkable, okay? This is what we call as anatomy of a dipsomaniac. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 31. Let's read on, read on from verse 1 onwards. Okay, let's read on. 
the words of King Lemuel, the utterance or the oracle of the translations we use. Okay. The words or the prophecy or the oracle. Okay. Which his mother taught him. Boy, praise God for mothers who are Lemuels. Okay. I'll tell you what Lemuel means, by the way, in a few minutes. Okay. What my son? In other words, other translations. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, the son of my womb? Now, look at the next one. And what are you doing, the son of my? Ah! What are you doing, the son of my? Okay. By Samuel and Lemuel almost have the same connotation, right? So, okay, let's, let's read on. I'm nothing significant over there. Then, do not give your strength to women. Isn't it amazing? So what should I, if Samuel, I mean, uh, Samson would have, should have read, but Samson was not there by the time, uh, sorry, Solomon had all these experiences, but just, okay, let's move on. It is not for, do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. It is not for kings, so Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink. Lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Now look at this remarkable thing. In order to understand the meaning, you need to understand what the word Lemuel means. Lemuel comes from two Hebrew words. No, my, I like Hebrew. Very simple language, by the way. As I said, in Hebrew, it is a, it is a spiritual composition. Every word and every, every word has, has got a spiritual composition. It comes from two words. Lemo and L. L means God. Okay, so God is very simple. So you need to know only the word and the meaning of the word. Lemo, by the way, is a preposition or a preposition. Hmm? It means L. Okay, Lemo L means in God, of God, for God, by God, to God, at God. Got it? Let, let, us, let us say that. What does Lemo L mean? In God. Where? What are we? Through Jesus Christ, we are in God. Second, of God. We are born of God. We are born for God. We are born, born by God. We are born unto God. We are born to be at the place where God wants us to be, be placed, at God. So we have in God, of God, for God, by God, unto God, at God. Six things. That is what Lemuel means. Does it not signify the consecration of a Nazareth? Absolutely. I am yours, holy. Holy to God. Now he's telling that person, don't drink or taste anything in life which will rob the kingdom mindset from your mind. Will take away the kingdom mindset. What do I mean by that? Let's turn to First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 onwards. Okay. First Peter, uh, First Peter chapter 2. Verse 9 onwards. <clears throat> Look at what it says. But you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people of his own. Actually, my translations will use the word. For his own position. You see all these Lemuel things coming here. Okay, For his own position. That you may proclaim the what? The excellencies of him. Boy excellencies of him who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are what? God's people. Once you did not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy and verse 11, beloved. You, you see that word beloved? Beloved, 
I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh which war against the soul. Have a mindset of a, the kingdom mindset. Don't take or do anything which will rob you of the kingdom mindset. Take your eyes away from the king. Second about wine. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 1. <coughs> Proverbs chapter 20 verse 1. Somebody can read it. Wine is a mocker. Is a brawler. Oh, so what does it, what does the wine do? It leads you astray and causes you to mock God. KJV will use this very interesting, uh, uh, rendering. It says, wine is a mocker, strong drink, strong drink, this drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. That means what, what does wine do? It, it makes you to mock God and makes you to deceive God. What does it mean? One thing you will forget. Galatians chapter 6. Verse 7. We should all be, we should all know this verse by now. What is that? Do not be mocked. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that exactly you will reap. In other words, you know what wine will tell you? It's okay. Chalega, chalega, chalega. Chalega, chalega, chalega. Meaning, one drink, what will it do? You will not lose your consecration with one drink. It all starts with the one drink. You will not lose it. Okay. The next one. This is very important, okay? What does swine signify? Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 11. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 11. And Micah chapter 4 verse 4. Somebody can read uh, Micah chapter 4 verse 4. Others can read Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 11. Yes, somebody can read it please. Uh, you will have houses full of all good things. You, 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 which you did not fill. Wells which you did not dig. Vineyards and holy on uh, olive trees which you did not plant. This is including all the Nazarites also. Okay, Nazarites also will have what? Vineyards and olive trees which they did not plant. And then, ah, that means what? You will eat the. You should not. In other words, if you have a vineyard, Nazarite, don't eat the grapes of your own vineyard. In other words. So, you know, it, how many years does it take for a wine to make bear fruit? It actually, it says in the, I mean, one, some, one guy, one commentator says it takes at least three years. Three years for wine to bear fruit. You know what it means? The guy who's eating his own fruit is a guy who's settled down. Okay? He's settling down. You know what, what Nazareth is doing? He's saying, Lord, this promised land is not my home. This promised land is not my home, like Pastor was saying, no? What was Abraham? He was a stranger in his own promised land. You know, when you get a green card in America, you know what, the, what is the status they call you? Resident alien. I like that. Resident alien. You're a resident, but you're an alien. I mean, you'll get so proud. Are you green card, Baba? What are you? Resident alien. Can you imagine? When you're going on the streets, hey, resident alien. You are here, but you are not our first. So you know what? What in a Nazareth is saying, Lord, in the promised land, I am a resident alien. Resident alien in the promised land. That is the Nazareth war. In other words, you are in the world, but not of the world. That means you have a beautiful tension with the world. <laughs> what did I say? A beautiful tension. You are in the world, but not of the world. 
the world is always bombarding against you and you're saying every day for your life, Lord, I want to keep my separation, Lord. I'm in the world, but not of the world. Second, that's the first part. How do you keep your separation? You keep your separation by understanding what wine means. Okay. Second, verse 5. All the days of the war of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head. Until the days are fulfilled for which he has separated himself to the Lord, he shall be holy. There, Then he shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. Okay? And that means he needs to have what kind, what kind of a hair? Long hair. Now, this is very interesting. What it tells me is this. A Nazarite vow is a personal vow. But it is also a public vow. A Nazarite vow is personal. But you also have a public testimony. You have all this shaggy hair, no? In the forest lived a funny fox combing out his shaggy locks. So that is a Nazarite. You're a funny fellow combing your shaggy locks. It's all shaggy, unkempt hair. And you look at this fellow. Who is this fellow? Now that fellow is a Nazarite. Nazarite. You know, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. But what? You have a testimony not only with God, you have a testimony also in the world. And you're not ashamed to say that. You will boldly claim through your consecration that I don't belong to God, that I don't belong to this world, but to God. What does it tell me? It, it tells me this. He boldly carries the mark of his separation and he's never ashamed to speak about his God. Never ashamed. Never ashamed. Boy, let me tell you, don't be ashamed of the gospel in your, in your, in your places. In your workplaces, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Let me tell you something. If you preach the gospel with conviction, your, your, your boss will tremble. If you speak the gospel and you will live your gospel with conviction, there will be a trembling. You know what? Many will hear and fear and they will do, put their trust in him. Be bold in your witness. First Peter chapter 3, verse 13 onwards. Okay? Look at what it says. Verse 13 onwards. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Okay? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are Blessed. You look at all the blessings in the Bible. If you suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. So you have a separation inside. And be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope which is in you. With what? With meekness and with Fear. Meaning, don't be ashamed. The problem is so many of us are ashamed because our our testimony itself is messed up. Okay, We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to offend anybody. Are you? We should not speak like that, Baba. It will offend people. Problem is, God, gospel will offend. And the problem is, you see, let me tell you something. Um, gospel has an order. What does that gospel have? It has an order. What is the order? It, it's like this, no? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? God, first is, God is holy. You are a sinner. God is holy. You are a sinner. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. And then do acts of righteousness. And then do acts of righteousness. This, this is the order. God is holy. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is holy. You are a sinner. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. And then do acts of righteousness. After you are having, I mean, you have experienced the, the gift of salvation. But you know what? False gospel does. It inverts. What is perversion? It just changes the order. God is holy. You are a sinner. Therefore, do righteous works and then God will accept you. What has happened? Instead of putting the first things 
late, I mean, the last thing, uh, second, you just inverted the order. Whenever you have inversion of the order, that is God's gospel. For example, I'll tell you how people invert the order. I know you believe in Jesus Christ. Okay? It has worked well for you. See, all, I know you were, there's a lot of testimonies. I was a drunkard, I was a, I was a sinner, I was a drug addict, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I'm now saved. Ah, that gospel is for you, drug addicts. But, it worked for you, but all the other people who do God also will go to heaven. You know what you're actually saying? The moment you make, you make the statement, all the other good people who do good things will also go to heaven, you've in, you've intuitively or instinctively said, all good people will go to heaven. What did I say? Turn to Matthew chapter 22. Let me show you something. Very interesting. Matthew chapter 22. <coughs> is it Matthew chapter 22? I think it is Matthew chapter 22. Yeah. Verse uh, 7 onwards. Somebody can read it. Mm-hmm. Yes, furious. You remember the story, okay? You will understand the context. Read on, yeah. And he sent out his army, mm-hmm. destroyed those murderers, mm-hmm. and burned out their city. Yes. Then he said to his servants, he served, said to his servants the, wedding is ready. the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways. Go into the highways. And as many as, as you find, mm-hmm. invite to the wedding. Uh-huh. So those servants went out into Oh! Both? Kya baat hai? Now I ask this question to my children no, in details. Who goes to heaven? Good people or bad people? Good people? Bad people go to hell or good people? It's a trick question. Intuitively everybody believes in that other gospel. If you are good, you will go to heaven. Here, here it says, whom did he invite? Both? That is the reason why pastor was talking about on Sunday, right? Both the prince and the prostitute. Both have to come. So if any of your acquaintances are princes, and if you tell them the gospel, they are the people who will be offended first. That is the reason why you don't want to tell your princes in your homes and in your workplaces. How will I tell my manager more? How will I tell my boss? How will I tell my relatives who are more righteous than me? In other words, you know what you believe? Good people go to heaven. You know what God is saying? Both good and bad, bring them all because if the, if I don't save them and if I don't put a garment of righteousness, it says, if you move on, you know, one guy comes to the wedding feet without a what? With a garment. And he says, friend, where is your garment? All he is looking for what? Not whether he's good or whether he's bad. He's looking for the garment. That is the gospel. Okay. Let's move on. So don't be ashamed. Because this is an offensive thing, by the way. The gospel is very, very offensive. And the more the successful the person is, the greater the fool he is. In the sight of God. Honestly, no, honestly. You go to, go online. If you have a PhD, you think that you are top megapan. And you, and you think that you are qualified to make statements in every field. Why? Because you have got a PhD in mathematics. 
So you will make statements in about uh, Darwin's theory of, uh, in biology you will make statements, in chemistry you will make statements, you will also make statements about theology. How dare you do that? What, qualifi- what qualification? Oh, he is a civil engineer, great civil engineer. What is he giving advice about God? Does he know about God? Nothing he knows about God. You see, the prince and the prostitute. And don't be ashamed. This is what he says. Boldly carries the mark of separation. Boldly in his body he carries the mark of separation. Second, Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 8 to 9. Please read that. Love this beautiful verse. Second Timothy chapter 3 verses, actually chapter 1 verses 8 to 9. Not chapter 3, chapter 1 verses 8 to 9. Oh, Second Timothy, is it? Is it Second Timothy? Oh, it's first, right? Yeah. Second Timothy chapter three verses, verses one, chapter one verses eight to nine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Oh, nor of me, His prisoner. Yeah. Rather, the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Yes. Ah, uh, who has saved and has called to a. Oh, yes, you see your calling? It is a holy calling. You have been a holy person separated unto God. It's a holy calling. Not because of anything we have done, not because of His own, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. It is not because of our own works. It's because of the grace that God has given us. And don't be ashamed of that. Finally, verse 6 and verse 7. This is possibly the most difficult thing. Uh, how do you keep your separation? All the days he separates, verses 6 and 7 and 8, all the d- days of his separation, uh, sep- all the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. He shall not make himself unclean, even for his father, or for his mother, or for his brother, or for his sister, when they die, because his separation to God is on his head, all the days of his separation, he shall be holy to the Lord. Possibly one of the most difficult, difficult, difficult aspects. In other words, you know what he's telling the Nazarite? If your father dies, don't go. If your mother dies, don't go. If your sister dies, don't go. If your brother dies, don't go. Boy. Turn to Matthew chapter 8, verses 21 and 22. Boy. This is difficult for all of us. It's difficult because, you know, this is possibly one of the most difficult for every one of us in different ways. Yeah, read on, read on, please. Then another of the disciples said to him, he says, You know, he didn't say, let me go and bury my father. You know what he said? Ah, he said, let me first. Ah, read on, read on, brother. Ah, let me first. Yeah. See that? Let the dead bury their own dead. You know what it actually tells me is this. It's actually a positive thing. The only way you will be able to truly love those people who do not love God, basically because if they don't know Jesus, they are dead in their trespasses and their sins. The only way you can truly love them is when you surrender them to Jesus. Then you will be able to love them. I, I, I see this principle. If you turn to Hebrews, please. Hebrews chapter 11. Verses 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises 
offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said in Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding what? That God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. You see in other words you know what you are doing? You are surrendering all your earthly relationships to God. You truly love them. You truly love them. See. It's one of the most difficult things to do, but because these are, these are, in other words, people might not be as consecrated as you are in your own circles. But you'll make a choice and you'll say, Lord, I will follow you. Boy, that's difficult. Let's move on. Finally. If you, that is how you keep your separation. Third, what if you break your vow of separation? How do you come back? Let's read now. Last one. Numbers chapter 6. And I'm going to finish in another 5 minutes maximum. Okay? Just give me 5 minutes. And if anyone dies very suddenly beside him, and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day, he shall shave it. Then on the eighth day, he shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the priest, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall offer one as a sin offering and the other as burnt offering and make atonement for him because he sinned in regard to the corpse. And he shall sanctify his head the same day. He shall consecrate to the Lord the days of his separation and bring a male lamb in its first year as a trespass offering. But the former days shall be lost because his separation was defiled. And what it tells me is this. What a Nazareth has is an amazing sensitivity to sin. And whenever he sees certain things which have, see, here in the sense, in this says, in this case, he is looking at a particular person who has died suddenly. Okay, suddenly he has died. He didn't go there, and he was he, he started suddenly that person has died, and and therefore he has to go. Now, the point here is this: what he has to do, he has to shave his head. Think about it. No, when he's sensitive to sin. He has to shave shave his head. What happened to Samson? When did he lose his hair? Because he lost all sensitivity to to sin. Completely lost. He completely lost all sensitivity to sin. And what it tells me is this. When you are wholly separated to God, when you come nearer and nearer and nearer to God, you know what increases in your life is sensitivity to sin. That is how you gauge yourself whether you are actually Separated to God or not. The closer you are to God, the more you know that He is holy and more you are sensitive. Even in your thoughts sometimes. Are, I might have said this word, maybe out of turn. So many times in my life, I am telling honestly. Sometimes I speak words and later on, the Lord will tell me, see, that word, even though it didn't hurt anybody, the way you said it, you increased sensitivity. It's very interesting, no? The closer you are to God, the greater your guilt. The closer you are to God, the greater your guilt. Let me tell you, you know, if a priest sins, what should he offer? He should offer a bull. If the entire congregation sins, what should they offer? Bull. If a leader sins, what should he offer? A goat and a ram. If a common man sins, turtle doves. That's enough. In other words, the more you know God, 
or rather the more you are closer to God, greater should be the sensitivity of your sin. And what he's saying, he's telling the Nazareth, the only way you will keep your consecration is when you are aware more and more about the sensitivity of your sin. Lord, let me show you what it means. Turn to 1 John, please. 1 John chapter 1, please. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And we will stop here. 1 John chapter 1. We know this very well. Verse 6 and 7. If we say we have fellowship with him, that means we are separated unto him, and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we what? Walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the what? See, he doesn't say the fellow has sinned. You know what has happened to him? The more he is walking in the light, the more aware of sin he is. That is what he's point. That is what he's talking about. The more you are closer to God, the more you are aware of your sin. And that's exactly what he's talking about. This guy has an increased awareness of sin in his life. Anything which causes death between him and God, that is sin basically. Is increased awareness of sin. And therefore the only way you can come back to God is what? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now look at this. You can look at it in a very negative way. All these days of consecration are gone. You know, but you know, with the way I want to look at it, you know what? God gives you a fresh chance. You can start your consecration all over again because this is a lifetime consecration. You're not only consecrated a few days or a few years. You're consecrated for life. You know what God is saying? If you walk like this with sensitivities to sin every day of your life, you know what? Even if you go up, goof up, I will give you. Even if you fall a million times, I will give you fresh chances. Fresh chance. You can come back to me fresh all over again. Fresh all over again. In other words, you can, you can make your consecration now and say, Lord, now. Please, Lord, let me walk in you. Walk in you. And you know what? Your hair will again come back like the way it came back with Samson. No. That locks will come back again. That means your separation will come back again. You lost your separation, but it will come back again. And God will give you more and more chances. I mean, you, 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 you can walk in, in that light and you have increases. What is this? There is a hope. If you are in Christ, there is a hope back to him. Because Christ has become a sacrifice. Now what kind of a sacrifice? It's an eternal sacrifice. Not once and for, it is not every time you have to bring a guilt offering and a sin offering and what kind of an offering? A trespass offering. I'm not going into the details of it because we don't have time. I, I just wanted to expand this a little more, but I'm stopping it here. What it tells me is this. Only thing, what is a trespass offering? There's a difference between every other offering and a trespass offering. You know, when you, when you offer a trespass offering or a guilt offering, you offer a trespass offering when Without your knowledge, you have taken something which is holy to the Lord and used it for yourself. That is what we call as trespass offering. And what has happened to this fellow? Suddenly he is not aware. Without his knowledge, he lost his symbol of separation. That means he became aware that he lost his symbol of separation and he comes back to the Lord. There is an increased sensitivity to sin in his life. So, he says, there's a there's a way there's a hope back in Christ, to, to Christ. In Christ, there's a way back. Because Christ has become our sacrifice. He says, once and for all, He has offered for us a sacrifice which is able to perfect us for what? Forever. Not once, just not one day. Forever. Once and for all, He has offered His blood. Forever you can have a clear conscience with God. Every day. And you know what? If you come to God, and if you confess your sins, He's what? faithful and just and the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you from 
all unrighteousness. Meaning what? It makes you righteous again and gives you a righteous standing with God. You can come back to him again. So we have, we have, we have looked at three things. How do we make a vow? Second thing, how do we keep a vow? Third thing, if you break the vow, how do you come back to God? But the point is, have you made a vow? Are you still afraid? You know, God likes people who will say, Lord, commitment, Lord. I'm committing myself, Lord. Committing myself. And what if I stumble, God? You know, it doesn't matter. If you, if I see your heart. If you, that's the reason why, you know, what, what Paul makes a very interesting statement. He is faithful to complete that which I have committed to him. But did you make a commitment, first of all? But are you afraid of your commitments? Are you afraid to make a commitment? She made a vow. Did you? Shall we pray? Father, we just pray, Father, that this evening, O Lord, we will make a fresh commitment. Start all over again. Some of us are afraid to make commitments because we we think that we'll be trapped and we think that we'll lose all autonomy. But Lord, only when we are in you we enjoy absolute total freedom and you are able to use our individuality for your glory. Because each one of us is unique. No one is the same, O Lord. All of us have different gifts. All of us have different callings. But not you're, you're not looking at our gifts. You're looking at our heart, our consecration, our willingness to make a vow. And this evening I pray, Father, that Lord, you would find all of us, O oh Lord, at least some of us, who will not be afraid to make a vow to you, O oh Lord, who will not look at their age, who will not look at their talents and their lack thereof. Father, I pray, Father, that they will only trust in you and they will say, like Hannah, Lord, give me a male child and I promise that a razor will not touch him. All the days of his life, he will be separated unto you. A bold, bold commitment. Not because we have any strength in ourselves, because we believe in a God who is able to complete what we have committed into His hands. Thank you, Father. Let faith arise in your people this evening. Let us make a vow. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name.